As they are leaving, if you would find the book of Mark in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will be in the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to study today during the sermon, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. This may seem like an odd Advent passage. Um, It is kind of a strange Advent passage, but it highlights a really important Advent truth. And that is that Jesus was human. Jesus was a man. Now, Jesus was God and man in a mind-bending reality that we can't quite comprehend. I know Mike perfectly cleared that all up in his Sunday school class, which uh, tackled the Trinity this morning. I assume you answered all the questions. And um, Jesus was human. Now, this is really important for us as we celebrate Christmas and just as Christians because it helps us to connect with him. Have any of you struggled to connect with Jesus as a reality? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, he can kind of remain this otherworldly figure that seems disconnected from everyday real life. I think many of us struggle to connect with Jesus Christ in the same way that I have always struggled to connect with Superman. I've never cared about Superman. Um, Superman is just too otherworldly. He's not anything like me, and I can never be anything like him. So I never watched Superman cartoons. I, I didn't even watch the latest Superman movie that came out. I know none of you did either because you guys don't watch movies. I always related to Officer John McClane. Does anybody know who Officer John McClane is? Okay, just a couple of you. Let me introduce you to Officer John McClane. Um, he, he was played by Bruce Willis in the movie Die Hard. And then the like 13 movies thereafter, none of them were as good as the first one. But keep in mind, I watched Die Hard, the uh, TV edited version on VHS. Don't go out renting Die Hard thinking that I endorsed it. It is horribly profane and violent. But the TV edited version was pretty mild. It was cut down probably like 30 minutes after they cut down all the profanity and the violence. But for some reason, as as a kid, really, I don't know how old I was when I first got my hands on this VHS tape recording of Die Hard. I watched that thing. Over and over and over and over. Some children watch cartoons. I watched Die Hard over and over and over. I loved it. Um, the uh, more recent adaptations are disappointing. Not that that has anything to do with the sermon. But see, Officer John McClain, he was stuck in this building. I'm not preaching about him, but this is important for the illustration. He was stuck in this building that was taken over by terrorists. And it was all up to him to save the day. But he was a real guy, so he really would bleed. He would really get hurt. Uh, He actually, he got caught with no shoes or socks on when the terrorists struck. So he had to do all this with no shoes or socks on. He was vulnerable. Um, And I could just relate to that a whole lot better than Superman. I mean, who cares about Superman? Superman can do anything at any time. There's no suspense with Superman. Um, You know, Superman, I cannot be like him, and he's nothing like me. He can save me, but I can't relate to him. John McClane, he can save the day, but I can relate to him. I can maybe be sort of like that. He's sort of like me. Now, Jesus is both. Jesus is Superman and John McClane. I never thought I'd say this. This is good theology here. Jesus is Superman and John McClane in the sense that he can save us, 
in a supernatural way that only God can do. He is otherworldly. He is God with us, but he's also human, born as a, as a little child, enduring a lot of the same things that we endure as humans. So he's like Superman. He's otherworldly. He's, he can do what we cannot do. He could save us from our sins where we cannot save ourselves from our sins. But he is also human. And th- this is the, the John McClain aspect of Jesus Christ is what we're going to focus on this morning. I'm going to have to do some heavy editing on the sermon before I post the audio. There's a sense in which Jesus is like me. Where Je- there's a sense in which Jesus is like us. And there's a sense in which we can be like him. Hence the term Christ-like. We're all trying to be Christ-like. We're not trying to be Christ-like in the sense that we are going to be divine, but we're trying to be Christ-like in the sense that we are going to be fully human the way he is fully human. If you want to know what it means to be human, you look at Jesus Christ. He did it perfectly. Now, in this passage we're about to read, we're going to see his humanity in two characteristics in particular. And let's read it together, and then I'll point those two out to you. And then we're going to have, um, prepare your hearts now, because we're going to have a bit of an altar call today. Uh, a time for you to come and really pray. Of course, you can pray at your seats as well. But the sermon's going to be pretty simple, and then I want us to have some time to pray. So if you would, if you're able to, would you please stand as an expression of honor as we read God's word from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. This is right after his baptism that we talked about last week. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, please now speak through this word. Please give us ears that hear, eyes that see, soft hearts to receive your word. May your word go out and accomplish your purposes. Each individual purpose that you set forth this morning for each of us. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So Jesus is human. One way we see that from this passage is that he submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. I've told you guys before, a while back, I was invited to write an article for The Witness, our denomination's uh, magazine, and it was about biblical fatherhood. And of course, the invitation came during a week in which I was being not a very good biblical father. But in order to write it, I studied through the book of John and I just wrote out every instance where it showed Jesus's relationship with God, the father. And I was really struck by how Jesus related to the father, not as we adults relate to our fathers, but as children relate to their fathers. I had never seen that before, but he submitted to his father in everything. He didn't say anything unless the father told him what to say. He didn't do anything unless it was the father's guidance for him to do it. He submitted to the father like a child would submit to a father. 
Now here we see similarly, he also submitted to the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was driven by the Holy Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit is such a nebulous thing. What does it mean to submit to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness? Now, we see a a more detailed version of this story in Matthew. You can flip to it if you'd like. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew covers the same news from a different perspective. I just want to read this to you, and, and as I do, I want you to keep in mind that this is Jesus as driven by the Holy Spirit, okay? It says, Then, after his baptism, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So here we get an expanded view of what this looked like. Jesus led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And we see that he, it was characterized by fasting. Now, fasting is usually teamed with prayer. It's one of the spiritual disciplines. If you, I don't know if you've ever read a book on the classic spiritual disciplines, but fasting is is always in there. That's where you, you focus in on your relationship with God and, and his word and prayer in such a focused way that you forego other things, usually food and drink. So here's Jesus fasting, and we can assume praying. And then when the tempter comes, he answers with memorized scripture. So Jesus must have meditated deeply on God's word and fasted and prayed. Now this is Jesus Christ. This is God with us pursuing these spiritual disciplines, the same ones that we have, the same ones that we're called to. You know, I read a lot of books aimed at pastors because I am one and try to figure out how to be one. And a lot of them um, come from a managerial tone, you know, how to better organize things, how to better communicate things. I desperately need help in these areas. But the best ones always keep in view that if you're going to be a good pastor, You have to be spirit-led. You have to be submissive to the spirit. And the only way to do that is to be plugged in to God's voice, God's word. The spirit speaks 
through these pages. To be deeply in prayer. Because what would you rather have? Would you rather have a pastor who's just, I don't know, I don't even know what a good example is of a good like business leader, but would you rather have a pastor who's just excellent at organization or would you rather have a pastor who is deeply in tune with God and completely driven by the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not saying that for you to like judge me on which one you think I'm more of. I'm an utter failure on both accounts. It's only because of the grace of Jesus Christ that any of this is working. But the same principle holds true for you. What do you want for yourself as a Christian? What are you pursuing? Because the same Holy Spirit that drove and empowered and guided Jesus Christ is in us as believers. We have the same source of guidance and power. We have the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like for you to lean more on the Holy Spirit? What would it look like for you specifically to be spirit-led, to be Christ-like in that sense, that you're guided by the Holy Spirit? Some of us kid ourselves and think that we can be Christians, Christ-like, while being totally disconnected from God. While being totally flesh-driven, going by our own instincts, going by the ways of the world. It doesn't work. It's, it's a, an illusion. But now if we are spirit-led... It may not always lead to the paths that we would choose. Yet there is a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the root of the Spirit, like route, R-O-U-T-E. But it doesn't rhyme if I say fruit and route. There's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the root of the Spirit. You know, who, who can help me name the fruits of the Spirit? Well, the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And yes, I actually am going to ask you to help me name them. But anybody, is anybody brave enough think that you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, I'm sure everybody heard that, right? <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. I think it's a different translation of patience. Kindness, faithfulness, maybe that's long-suffering one. Yeah, all these things are the fruit of the Spirit. If, if you're nurturing the Holy Spirit within you, these are going to grow into your lives. Don't they sound good? Don't we want that? So that's the fruit of the Spirit. But being Spirit-led means we're going to go in the direction the Spirit leads us. It can be easy to think that the Spirit is going to lead us in paths of love and joy and peace. If we're Spirit-led, that that's going to be what it feels like. And that's not the way it works. More often than not, He's going to lead us in a path like He did Jesus, where it's wilderness where it's isolation, solitude, hunger, vulnerability. The Spirit immediately led him in this direction. Now that fruit grows from within, but it doesn't mean he leads you into joyful, peaceful, gentle surroundings. He may lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's with you. So don't expect 
that if you are spirit-led, for it to mean easy living. It's not at all going to mean that. It didn't even mean that for Jesus. I think a lot of us think that the Holy Spirit is sort of like a vitamin that we can take and ah, just feel invigorated, but he's more like a trainer. And if you watch The Biggest Loser, the Holy Spirit is more like those people pushing you, convicting you painfully of your sin, forcing you to deal with things you don't want to deal with, leading you down paths that are more than you could handle in your own strength because he's trying to teach you to rely on God, forcing you down paths that strip you of worldly comfort because he's trying to teach you of the deeper comfort that's in God. So do you want to be spirit-led knowing that? Jesus was human. We see it in that he submitted to the Holy Spirit. We see it in another characteristic in this passage that may even be more interesting. He, Jesus, struggled with temptation. Jesus struggled with temptation. Now, I am on tricky theological ground here. And if I really thought about how to phrase this, I think that it's it's right. Jesus struggled with temptation. Have you ever thought about that? Look at verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, 40 days being tempted by Satan. You know, if you read anything that comes out of Rick Warren's church, it's 40 days of purpose, 40 days of fitness. Jesus's program that the Holy Spirit designed for him was 40 days of vulnerability to temptation. Now, I wrestled with that word struggle. Should we say that Jesus struggled? What about that Superman aspect of him? Was there really any danger of him sinning? Man, that's a, that's a big one to tackle. But I think it's accurate to say he struggled. And I want to show you why in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews four fifteen says... For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a high priest who is so far removed to us that he doesn't understand what it's like to be a human in this sinful world. He can sympathize. You know, they say the best parents are the ones who can remember what it was like to be a child. Remember how hard it can be. Jesus remembers what it's like to be a human. He knows what it's like. He can sympathize. He's not a cold, distant authority figure with a quiver full of lightning bolt arrows to blast you when you mess up. He knows how hard it is for you. He knows your temptation. He has been tempted in every respect as we are. Now, I take that to mean that any temptation we experience, Jesus experienced something like it. So what's your temptation? Don't shout it out loud. What is your 
temptation? What is the sin that you struggle with the most to resist? Jesus, in every way, has been tempted as we are. He knows what you're going through. You you can't say when you give in to the temptation and you feel the guilt set in that God's being unreasonable and that he doesn't understand. He does understand. You know, there was a time in my life in which I had what the Bible would call a seared conscience. I don't know if you've ever come across that phrase in the Bible. There was a time in my life when I had a seared conscience, which is what happens when you sin in an ongoing way without repentance. And it's like your heart gets a crust over it. You know, the scars of the Holy Spirit doing its work and you ignoring it build and build and build. So you get a crust over your heart and, and you're able to, to sin ongoingly. Now, God says he will discipline his children. He's not going to allow any of you who are genuinely his children to go on and sin. If you're going on in sin right now and you think that you're going to be able to sweep it under the rug, you're not. If you're a child of God, he's going to deal with it. So, you know, I had sin in my life that I, I didn't even justify it. I just kind of gave, almost gave up, you know, trying to fight the temptations. And then one day God, I praise him for this, but it was about the most painful experience of my entire life. Reached down and ripped those hard scabs off of my heart. And what was left was this, this really sensitive conscience, hypersensitive. I still struggle with the hypersensitive conscience today because I had lived so long with the seared conscience. But in the wake of all that, that beautiful, painful, bloody work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I was forced to try to figure out the difference between temptation and sin. Because with such a sensitive conscience, I thought any temptation was just as bad as sin. But that's not the case. And we know it because Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he never sinned. Even Jesus was tempted. So that means temptation is a fact of life. That means you're never going to grow so spiritually strong that you're going to be above being tempted. You're never going to be more spiritually mature than Jesus Christ. But it also means that the temptation itself is not the sin. See, Satan is tricky. He's a liar. So first he'll hold out the temptation to you and say, look at that. That looks good. If you will bite on this bait, it's going to be good. And then you do. And then he starts the lies of accusation and says, you are horrible. You better sweep that under the rug because nobody's going to overlook this, let alone Jesus Christ. But see, he's such a liar. Even if you see the bait, And that flesh within you wants it, whatever it is, whatever your temptation is. Satan, the skilled liar, will go ahead and jump on you sometimes and accuse you of even, you wanted that? You are so wicked. How could you even be tempted by such a thing? So here, silence the enemy if you struggle with that. Maybe none of you struggle with the highly sensitive conscience like I do. The temptation is not the sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. But he didn't sin. 
Now, this is where the John McClain side of Jesus Christ and the Superman side of Jesus Christ kind of come together. You know, we are tempted and we often do sin. Adam was tempted in the garden and he sinned. And through him, we all inherited death and a sinful nature. You know, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. See, where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. So in Adam, just by being human, you inherit condemnation and death of sin. He was the head of that covenant. Now in Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in him, we get underneath a new head of a new covenant, and he succeeded. So just as through the one man, Adam, sin entered into the entire human race, through one man, Jesus Christ, life Forgiveness, cleansing, newness. So you've all failed to be spirit-led, and you've all failed when you were tempted. I know because I see you when you're sleeping, and I know when you're awake. (laughs) See how creepy that sounds in a different context? I know that you have failed because you're human, and I'm human, and we're not Jesus. So the message is not first, go do better. The message is first, Jesus, Superman, swoops in and he saved the day. He he succeeded where we have all failed. In him, go to him, be honest with him and say, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. I need you to help me repent and change. That's A. And then B, then receiving that forgiveness, receiving the Holy Spirit, and that new supernatural power within you, receiving the, the new creation, then you emulate, then you follow in his footsteps. Then you try to become Christ-like. Pursue the spirit. Have you ever prayed and asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Do that today. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and lead you like the spirit led Jesus. Are you completely beaten down to the ground by whatever your temptation or temptations are? Go to him in prayer now. Ask for that forgiveness and that cleansing and that power to change. Because I can tell you from experience, it's there. If you've been pleading forever, keep pleading. He will. I have journals filled with with prayers pleading for God to just help me stop giving into this temptation. And he did. It was painful and bloody. He will answer these prayers. I don't know his timeline for it. It was Christmas time. We can relate to this baby in a manger. We can even be like Christ through the supernatural work that he does in us through the Holy Spirit. So now as we sing our closing song, I want to invite you to respond to this in whatever way the Holy Spirit may have been prompting you throughout. Maybe there's some specific sin that you have been just trying to avoid dealing with and you feel the heavy hand of God on you right now and you've got to deal with it. Maybe you just want to pray that he will give you the Holy Spirit and guide you like he guided Jesus. I don't know what he's doing in your life. But I want to invite you, you can pray where you're at. There's nothing magical about the altar. But 
there is something about coming forward. There's something about, it's, it's like a, um, it becomes sort of a sacred place. It's like you're setting yourself apart from the you who was sitting in your pew not doing anything to being the you who's going to respond to this up here in prayer. And if you come forward, I'm going to come over to you and ask if I can pray with you in any way. Um, if you wanted to pray by yourself, just say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not pressuring you, but I'm here to pray with you if you'd like that. But this is your time, my time to respond to God's word. So let me pray for you, and then I'll invite Matt to come forward, and we'll sing our closing song. Father, thank you for your word, but I thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has succeeded where we have failed. But I thank you, too, that you chose, you chose to save us in such a way that you sent your son, one of us. Lord, help us to see him that way as well, not just as our heavenly supernatural savior, but also as our, our brother, one of us, the epitome of humanity, what we are becoming. And for each and every one of us, I pray that you would make it crystal clear. What's the next step? As we're praying, just make it crystal clear. What's our next step to be more spirit led? What's our next step to fight temptation with scripture the way Jesus did? Please help us in these things in Jesus name. Amen.